This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Quick, off the top of your head, what's the most memorable present you've ever received? For me, it was a gift from way back when I was about six years old. I opened a big package one Hanukkah evening to reveal a Game Boy Color, Pokemon Blue, and an official strategy guide. This was huge for me and kicked off a love of video games that continues to this day. But what really made it special is what I remember from that evening. My father had to help me set up the game. And together, we spent about an hour just trying to find the door out of my character's house. I'm slightly better at games now, but sharing that initial learning experience with my family has always made that night a special milestone for me. In this week's story, teller Rick Walker shares his own memories of Christmases, where the presents were great, but the company was even better. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in December 2015, Second Story is proud to present Last Christmas. Christmas has become complicated. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's fraught with expectations, assumptions, stockings full of sticky emotions. Christmas for me used to be very simple. Did I get more stuff that I wanted than stuff that I needed? A simple equation. I remember when I came up with that elegant theorem, I was 10 years old. That year, my greatest wish, dream, hope was for a racetrack set. Not just any racetrack set, a TCR. The cars were the same size as Matchbox cars, but twice as cool. TCR stood for Total Control Racing. Total Control Racing! Not only could you control the speed of your car, but with a flip of a switch on the back of the remote, you could switch lanes, a major leap forward in slot car technology. In the commercials, one kid passed his buddy's car, causing his buddy to slap his own forehead in frustrated humiliation. (laughs) I had already cast myself as the victor and my best friend, Greggy Eggleston, as the face-slapping second placer. Picture the scene. Ripped wrapping paper strewn around the living room like a cyclone of Christmas cheer had just passed through. My mother in her pink house coat and pink slippers had pulled a dining room chair to the edge of the living room, giving her vantage point to watch her children greedily open their many gifts. Her smile renewed as each present was played with or tried on. My oldest brother, Jamie, wiring his circuit board kit by the front windows. He could, he was able to make things as simple as a light switch or a radio. That was a Jamie gift. He loved it. The next oldest, Kenny, had attached a small weight to the end of his new fishing line and sat at the far end of the living room, casting as close to me as he could without getting in trouble, but close enough to annoy me. A perfect Kenny gift. My baby sister Shelly, who was two, played with empty boxes, stacking them and knocking them over and looking around the room to see if anyone else thought it was as hilarious as she did. And then she'd start again. 
My dad sat on the floor behind Shelly, leaning back against the wingback chair, drinking eggnog, tired but happy, a new digital clock radio across his belly. But as I surveyed the yuletide wreckage of red and green, no TCR, no Ricky gift, no Christmas miracle. So on the floor near the couch, I had my $6 million man, Steve Austin action figure, not a doll, beating up my old G.I. Joe with Kung Fu grip. Mom asked, Ricky, are you having a good Christmas? Yeah, great, I lied. <laughs> Did you get everything you wanted? Even at 10 years old, I knew only an ingrate would give the answer that flashed through my mind, which was, no, no, I didn't. First off, don't even bother wrapping socks and underwear. Those aren't real Christmas gifts, and I'm not even convinced they're necessary. <laughs> In spite of the fact that I had gotten like 15 new toys, the one thing I really wanted, I didn't get. Total control racing. Mom asked again, did you get everything you wanted? And I thought about it. Even though I hadn't gotten the one thing I wished for, I got a ton of great stuff. A new magic eight ball so I could tell the future, a Hugo Mars Jr. disguise kit uh, so I could solve crimes, in a mustache, <laughs> lots of cool stuff. I don't always need everything I want. So I answered without complaint, yeah, Santa did a good job. My little sister yells out, Santa, while knocking over a stack of boxes. Yeah, I knew the truth about Santa, but I had joined the conspiracy. <laughs> oh, good. You got everything you wanted. But, uh, huh. Mom pretended to look around the room. I don't see, um, huh. I was confused. Why was mom acting? <laughs> well, 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 um. Did you look behind the couch? The twinkle in her eye, shinier than the star on the tree. Could it be? I moved cautiously onto the couch, afraid to hope too much. Wedged behind it in the wall, a colorfully wrapped package. I scanned my family's faces for answers. They looked back expectantly, well, except Shelley. She was preoccupied shoving as much paper as she could into a small box. I pulled the couch away from the wall and I yanked my bounty from its hiding place. I clawed at one corner and I ripped diagonally, exposing race cars going at an obviously high rate of speed. <laughs> I had gotten the greatest gift a kid could ask for, and after opening so many gifts, I had already accepted that I hadn't gotten it. And with that diagonal tear, my world shifted. I had never experienced such sudden and surprising joy. I burst into tears. And I hugged that box. The tears continued as I removed the remaining paper. My brothers, who usually loved finding any reason in the world to mock me, 
joined in with appreciative laughter. This shared, unabashed joy is a Christmas miracle and should be treasured. I had learned about tears of joy several Christmases before. I was only six, but I vividly remember watching my father open one of his presents from my mother. And when he recognized what it was, he burst into tears. And then he ran upstairs as embarrassed as he was overwhelmed. At six, I had never seen my father cry before. And I was confused. Big boys don't cry. The present was a beer-making kit. <laughs> In my child's mind, I had created a narrative to explain this odd event. I figured he really wanted a beer-making kit and that my mother had told him no. She did that to me all the time. Like if we were at the boring old grocery store and I asked for a nickel for a gumball, she might give me one, but a more likely scenario was, well, I would have given you a nickel if you had just put water into Pippi's bowl. What? She's Kenny's dog? That doesn't even make sense. Oh, so now you're acting ugly. You definitely won't get a nickel now. Entrapment. <laughs> Mom logic, my brothers and I called it. And when it came to that beer-making kit, I, I imagine that there had been some reversal of mom logic. I figured that dad was so surprised that she had changed her mind that he was overcome. Why else would somebody care so much about a plastic barrel and a few ingredients? Now this is the narrative that I have carried with me for over 40 years. But I'm not six anymore, and that story doesn't hold water, so I called my dad to ask him his side. And what he, te what he told me was much more beautiful than I had imagined. And even now, he held back the tears. It's not the gift, he said, it's the giver. Nobody has ever loved Christmas more than Sylvia. Now, you might not remember this, but me and my buddies, we used to make wine in our basements, and I hadn't asked for that beer kit or hinted about it or even knew that I wanted it. It was just perfect. I was going to be the first one of my buddies to make beer. Such a thoughtful gift. And I knew I couldn't give her the perfect gift. And I guess that's just how my appreciation came out through tears. That was why I had cried when I got my TCR set. It's what I had learned. Christmas miracles are those moments of surprise and joy. I know that that reaction was the gift my mother was looking for for herself. Mom's favorite gift, Christmas miracles. Mom observed, so, you were happy even before you got your cars. Yeah, good, because Christmas isn't about all that stuff. I understand that now, but at 10, I thought, Mom, logic, I'm going to set up my racetrack. <laughs> Sadly, time moves on from those joyous moments, and the rest of life happens. Who would have guessed that that TCR Christmas would be our last Christmas together? 
In the years since I was 10, my parents divorced. Dad didn't want to miss out on the sexual revolution of the days of disco. The next dozen years, mom's bitterness spilled over into every aspect of her life. At 27, my brother Kenny died, and other earth-shattering events found us drifting apart. There were good times, too, additions to the family. I got married. My baby sister grew up to have three babies of her own. Every Christmas, though, was so different with different lessons. But Walker family Christmas was hit or miss. In the late 90s, I became the organizer of major holidays, the one willing to make decisions for the rest of the group. If I wanted to host Thanksgiving, everyone traveled to Chicago. If I didn't feel like doing the bulk of the cleanup, everyone went to my sister's house for Christmas in Michigan. If I felt like really enjoying myself, I'd go to Europe and spend the holidays with my in-laws. In September of 2008, my stepmother unexpectedly died. Now, obviously, the, the holidays would be rough on my dad and my half-sister, Sandia, so I made the plan to have them spend Christmas with me. And when I told Mom that Dad and Sandia would be coming to Chicago, she suggested that we all go to Columbus for Christmas weekend. Now, I was surprised. Mom had loathed Dad at the end of the 70s had despised him in the 80s, tolerated him in the 90s, but this was a new millennium. But I was surprised that she would so easily welcome her ex-husband and his child at her Christmas. Christmas morning was reminiscent of my childhood with everyone sitting around my mother's living room opening presents, colorful paper filling the gaps between us. I sat at the at the end of the couch closest to the fireplace that I intermittently tended with an open box of socks and underwear on my lap, thinking, nice, boxer briefs and argyles, thoughtful gift. <laughs> Clockwise around the room, Sandia between my mother and I on the couch, Jamie in the coral-colored armchair reading liner notes to his new DVD box set of Star Trek, the original series. Dad on the floral wing back near the front door with a new weather station clock. Shelly's kids, Michaela, 13, wearing literally all of the clothes she got for Christmas, all at once to hilarious effect. James and Kenny, 15 and 16, each with a new manual for a PlayStation game, telling each other awesome new features that they'll soon be using. And Shelly on the floor in my mom's pink robe, gathering paper and jamming it into a garbage bag. Later, as we were nearing the end of dinner, I looked around the table, you know, all the good food, wine, eggnog, all of us including my mother and father, all around the same table, feasting together. None of the teenagers were bickering, and even my brother Kenny was present, spoken of beautifully by my father during grace. We were together as a family for the first time in more than 30 years. Peals of laughter, the sounds of silverware on fine china, my mother leaned in toward me and said softly, this is nice. 
having everybody here? It is, I agreed. When you're in a moment, you cannot know its eventual significance. Over the next several months, my mother repeatedly mentioned what a nice Christmas we had had. There was no way of knowing it would be her last. She died suddenly a couple of weeks before her birthday in October. The confluence of events that brought us all together as a family in December of 2008 was our Christmas miracle. Because we had a chance to give mom her greatest Christmas wish, dream, hope, family. This story was produced by Imi Tin, curated by C.P. Chang, and directed by Liz Rice, with music and sound design by Nick Kawahara. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. <laughs>